and boom goes the dynamite. Welcome to episode 63 of Boom Goes the Dynamite, the AEW Dynamite Review Show here on the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm Jeffrey. With me tonight is Paul Sebastian. Paul, how you doing, man? Jeff! Woo! You are the man! (laughs) And I... Am loaded. Am drunk. No, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, I'm not kidding. I have been drinking. There's no can check because the can's already open. I may have some whiskey next to it. Uh, we are ready to roll, bud. How you feeling? Uh, it's been another week in the world, hasn't it? <laughs> it certainly has been. Another slow news week. I know when uh, our listeners joined us last week, nothing was happening. Uh, nothing was going on outside of the world of wrestling, so it was very easy to tune into a wrestling podcast and say, well, nothing else is happening, I might as well, and it's just like that this week, too. Nothing important happened today, uh, there was nothing going on besides professional wrestling, so I'm really glad we're doing this podcast, because the only thing that happened today, again, was professional wrestling. Yeah, meanwhile, in the real world. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, of course you don't. <laughs> I, what is the real? The what? What did you say? You, I don't. You, were you were you bored before you even began? Is that what you were trying to tell us? Just maybe. <laughs> and time is a flat circle. Oh, uh, lordy, lordy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's yeah. Oh boy. The flat circle of time keeps rolling, but you know what? It's a great week to have had wrestling. Uh, and, and I'm glad we continue to roll that along because wrestling really is an escape, Jeff. And that's why I think our listeners come and join us despite the unrest outside of our little wrestling bubble. Yeah. Yeah. You escape the unrest outside to come see the unrest inside. (laughs) Well, shall we get to the unrest inside? I think we should get to the unrest inside. Uh, did you watch? To get to, did you watch either Impact or Dark this week? I did watch Dark. You did I watch forgot Dark, about yeah. Impact. Um, actually, no. I spent a, a Tuesday doing a lot of other podcast stuff, which I'll plug at the end. But yeah, I did watch Dark. Uh, there was some good stuff. I, uh, you know, Conti had a match. Anna Jay had a match, and the Varsity Blondes had a match. So I had to make sure I saw all that. Anthony Agogo on commentary did a pretty nice job. Nice to see him back. I think he's uh, uh, probably a prospect they're pretty high on there. So to get him back involved was pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's AEW Dark. AEW Dark, and I've talked about this before, it's a house show. It's a weekly house show. It feels like a house show, and that's okay. It feels like you can jump in and out anytime you want. You don't need to follow it closely, but if you just want to supplement your wrestling intake and get a little bit more wrestling in your life, you can pop it on, and it's just wall-to-wall matches. So you'll just get wrestling, and that's kind of nice. Well, you know, you, 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 you're, not, you're not allowed to don the, the Impact Correspondent hat. I will, I will keep my hat on the rack until the next time I watch Impact. When that is, you, dear listener, will have to subscribe to find out. <laughs> subscribe, subscribe to this very podcast, yes. That's a tease right there. I'm a professional broadcaster. All right. Well, with that, we go pre-taped to Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida for of AEW Dynamite. Your hosts, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Excalibur, we go right in to a match, part of one of the biggest feuds in the company right now, the the bastard Billy the Fish, pack Billy I, the Fish against Eddie Kingston. Hey, this is this is a friend of ours. They call him Billy the Fish. Why do they call him Billy the Fish? 
<laughs> I think you got the wrong accent for that for this particular Billy the Fish. Hey, but... no, this is a this is a friend of ours. We call him Billy the Fish <laughs> over here. Hey, oh, hey. Uh this match was rocking and a good You could a... probably pass Pack off as an Italian under the right circumstances. Not with that accent. I mean, not with his accent, but if he was like, if he had to stay quiet and you like did his hair the right way, I think that there's a path to making Pack Italian. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, he he's like pretty well in you know ingrained as part of. I'm just of, saying, uh, like part of Newcastle. Pinch. I'm just saying, in a pinch, if you needed Pack to be Italian, I, I think you can make it happen. So I, I forget. Have you been around since the whole Pack Billy the Fish thing? No, I not really. Okay, so the whole thing, uh, Billy the Fish is a uh, is a comic strip in a British uh, British comic book called The Viz, which is like okay. a lot of, a lot of parody strips. And Billy the Fish is um, not only uh, from Newcastle, but is actually a fish that plays football. Okay, so this is some deep lore here. Yes, I really like. Well, it, of course, it, where is Pack from? Pack is from Newcastle, England. Yes, he is. he's from Newcastle upon Tyne. So yeah, so we we just assume that he supports Newcastle United. So <laughs> I would right. assume he's a Newcastle guy. Like there's probably no way around that. He he, he, he probably sings "Hoey the lads up the tune." So you know it's uh, ah yeah. Ah. But anyway, uh, he also uh, kicks much ass as he did in this match with Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston brought it as well. This is, you know, a, an example of something that we love on this podcast, which is AEW opening the show with one of the best matches by saying we like because you're already aware, like if you give these guys 10 to 12 minutes, you know what you're going to get from them. Right. But there's no surprise that it's going to be one of the best matches on your show, no matter who else you put on the card. Like these are two of your best. And this is a match that your fans have been excited about since Pac made his return. So there was no way you weren't going to get an absolute banger here. And they did the thing where they put it at the top of the show and really just got us out of the fucking gate. And I love this. I love when this happens. And this was just another example of it. This match ruled. Oh, yeah. Th th this was just uh, amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, Just it was fantastic amazing. from from the moment one uh, Kingston sells to Pax execution, uh, the chemistry that they have, uh, stiff shots, the extracurriculars, everything worked. Everything worked. The Lucha Brothers on the outside and Alley and Butcher and Blade, all of it worked, including the post-match brutalizer, which oof. That yes, I, yeah. So Pack wins with a black arrow and then uh, adds that brutalizer on top of it. Uh, just the disrespect shown to a guy who's been disrespecting everybody in AEW since he got there. A little bit of a comeuppance, but, you know, AEW really doesn't do heel. Like we talked about, you know, I think this is a good opportunity to bring this up because it's something I've been thinking about. AEW and the way they present heroes, villains, uh, heels and faces, whatever you want to call it, right? So I've argued before that AEW really isn't doing heels and faces anymore, right? And that can be a problem, I think, if you uh, uh, like like break it down in terms of like, well, who do I root for? Who do I root against? You know that whole thing. But I think they do the right thing, uh, uh, taking it a layer past that. And it's not really heels and faces, but you need to have a protagonist and an antagonist, right? Okay. That doesn't necessarily have to be a heel or a face, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a good guy or a bad guy. It has to be a protagonist. It has to be an antagonist who you as the audience member chooses to root for. Now, that's up to you. Right. And I think that's when you get into like a different level of storytelling than that classic, you know, quote unquote, old school heel and face mentality can do. And I think that's what we're unlocking here uh, on television with AEW. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I mean I, again, this has been the argument since the Attitude Era as well. Um but I think the Attitude Era was more specifically the anti-hero angle, right? Right. Like, specifically geared towards anti-heroes, like, kind of much in the way, like, Prestige TV in, like, the mid-2000s did. Right. Right, with well, the Breaking well, Bad, your well, Sopranos, your Wires. And, yeah, and still does. Like, your anti-hero. I think it's a little different here than having, like, a... I would... Uh, uh, 
liken it more to like an ensemble cast kind of TV show. Recent example, The Expanse. Are you into The Expanse? I know we've talked about this a little bit off pod. You know, but... I, I, I have seen some of it. I, I really need to, to sit down and actually committedly watch The Expanse. I think it's very good. And I think, you know, the anti-hero protagonist antagonist thing, I think the lines are very blurred on that show, which is why it works. And I think that's kind of what AEW unlocks when they're at their best is, you know, maybe not a heel and a face, but a protagonist and an antagonist. Um, and you can decide who I, you want to root for there. Yeah. Well, th- th- you know what? I, 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 a good anime example of that might be Mobile Suit Gundam, actually. Ooh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anime comparisons. I love that. So, uh, but in, in the midst of all this, a, a, a another uh, another uh, spanner into the works as uh, Lance Archer and Jake Roberts come out to uh, get him a piece of Eddie Kingston, and uh, yeah, so him, him and Pat get into it like, a little bit too. Well, we don't really know where this whole Archer and Lucha Brothers and Pack thing is going. We don't know if like Archer wants to ingratiate himself with these guys or if he's just capitalizing on the opportunity to just beat up Eddie Kingston whenever he gets a chance. Like we don't really know. There's a little mystery there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, I, I'm sure that that storyline is not over and, uh, there's, uh, believe it or not, there's going to be more. Uh, yes. More, oh, more, is more, there going to be more? Just, there's, there's going to be more involved. Let's keep, let's, let's keep moving. Uh, our second match of the evening. We, we actually went right into our second match of the evening. Chuck Taylor versus Miro with the stipulation that if, Chuck loses. Uh, he becomes uh, Miro's young boy for in, in, until this wedding angle happens. That's at, right. At, at if, beach break, uh, not beach blast, like I thought. It was beach. If break. Chuck loses, he has to uh, go with Miro to Little Saint James Island for the next month uh, and be his young boy. Uh, I'm gonna say that uh, Chuck Taylor got uh, way more offense than I thought this was gonna be. I thought this was gonna be an absolute squash and uh, Chuck Taylor actually was hot fire in this match. Yeah. And I'm glad it wasn't because it, it was also an opportunity to let Miro stretch his legs a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Miro just looked I mean, We haven't seen Miro once be, you know, you know, be, be uh, having to work from underneath, you know? Once. Yeah. And this is like a guy who like came out to WrestleMania on a fucking tank at one point. Like, we need to never forget that. Like, this guy is a star. And he, I think he's been misplaced within this whole Kip Sabian angle. I don't think this was the best uh, spot for him. But if we can get him doing this, I think despite all of the exteriors and all the stuff around him, we're going to be able to get this guy over the way he deserves to be. Because he is a star. He's big and giant and jacked and super good at wrestling. And that was on display here. And like Chuck Taylor, great dance partner, uh, a consummate professional, a really good wrestler. This was a, a very fine match. Uh, Miro does get the victory with uh, whatever, the Camel Clutch, Steiner or Kleiner. Whatever yeah, they didn't give it. a new name for it yet. Did you notice a new name? I was waiting for it. I In WWE, not. they called it the Accolade. They're not calling it that anymore, but I don't think they've named it yet. Yeah, I haven't heard a name of it yet. Uh, but it was great to see the intensity out of Miro in the way that we kind of have expected out of him in singles matches. Um, also, a little bit of credit to Kip Sabian doing what Kip Sabian, you know, does what we think is best on this podcast, being like a little shit heel valet type. And, and getting uh, punched in the face. Yeah, and he did that in this match. All that was on display. And look, that's what Kip is best at and where we should be using Kip. Yeah. Uh, Orange Cassie left to, to ponder what's next. As, and you know, what is next, Jeff? What well, is next? We don't know. Well, next on this program was oh. a, back, a backstage promo between Matt Hardy and Private Party. And Jesus Christ, do I feel bad for Private Party for being stuck in this whack-ass angle. <laughs> you say that now, but I, I do think this is going to pay dividends for Private Party because I think that this is the right way to set this up. And I'm actually glad that they're doing it this quickly. I thought this angle was going to be played out more slowly, but it seems like they're leaning into the Matt Hardy, like exploiting these guys angle a little bit quicker than I thought, which is a good thing. Ultimately, this uh, whole thing is going to do what its purpose is. And that's raise the profile of private party and them getting over this thing with Matt is going to do that. You know well, what I mean? 
I hope so because I, I I've been over Matt Hardy for you know a while now. As I but here's the thing, most if you're a wrestling fan and you're over Matt Hardy and you're tired of it, what's the ideal payoff for you? Well, he gets his ass kicked. Of course. Okay, well that's what's coming, right? Well, we hope. <laughs> We hope that's well, what's I, coming. I, I think that, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you can kind of see what's on the horizon here. That eventually, that, that's what this is going to be used for. So I trust this angle, and I think it's the right thing to do. And I think to lean Matt Hardy into, like, where the winds of, you know, fan change are blowing is smart. And one thing Matt Hardy is good at is knowing the trends of wrestling and being able to adapt with you know, the state of current pro wrestling. It's how he was able to stay relevant for so long. It's why the broken Matt Hardy stuff worked so well when it did. And I don't think this is much different. I think Matt Hardy realizes that people are sick of a certain Matt Hardy, and he's using that to get this character over uh, on the antagonist side. Well, in theory, you're correct. Let's see how it comes out in practice. I'm all about theory. Yes, indeed. Maybe not... Are you all about Austin theory? Oh, no, I am not. Okay. <laughs> no, I know nothing about I, him. I, I actually know I think nothing he's about like him. A, I think so. he's like a problematic boy. Is he? Oh, shit. I think he's one of the ones who like, uh, I don't follow WWE close enough, but I think he's like one of the, one of the recently canceled. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just know the name. That's all. So I, cause I pay, <laughs> I pay virtually zero attention to WWE at all. Uh, our next segment, uh, the Inner Circle New Year's Resolutions, live in the ring. and Another uh, State of the Union of the Inner Circle segment. Oh, go, oh good. The, the the third one this year, and we've only had two episodes of Dynamite in 2021 so far. <laughs> these, are, these are pretty frequent. I am getting tired of them. I think I'm ready to finally say something that uh, listeners probably wouldn't expect me to say. I think the Inner Circle sucks now. Yeah, this. Yeah, the, the, I think yeah, the inner circle might now be cringe. Yeah, it, it's getting it, it's getting worse by the week, and now the the whole upshot of this is now we have a, a three way tag match to determine who's going to be the tag team in in the inner circle. Will it be Santana Ortiz? Will it be Chris Jericho and MJF? Will it be Sammy Hager? Which, oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just don't know if I care enough about any of this. I I, I really don't. <laughs> I, I do not yeah, care. Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I am starting to fade really out. It's really interesting because there's like a lot of really big talent here. Like Sammy Guevara is like someone who's going to be a big deal in wrestling, I think, for a long time. Obviously, Santana and Ortiz are Santana and Ortiz. Like they deserve to be one of the top tag teams in AEW. Uh, they're that good. Yeah. Wardlow. Um, Wardlow. Wardlow is awesome. MJF, uh, you know, love him or hate him, is, you know, one of the most effective antagonists that they have on their roster. Um, Chris Jericho, I'm a lifelong Jericho-holic, Jeff. I've talked about that a lot on this podcast. I've defended Jericho in some spots, and I've admonished and criticized Jericho in some spots. I think maybe Jericho's value to AEW doesn't outweigh his uh, own personal da- brand's damage or uh, potential damage to AEW at this point. Yeah, Jericho might at this point be more trouble than he's worth. Well, plus you know. It, it... You know, it, the the last time he trended on Twitter was because you know NBA, as you pointed out, NBA Twitter was just absolutely and, and like just I'm giving not him Jericho a, can't a wrestle shoey. anymore. Yeah, Jericho can still wrestle in his fifties, which is remarkable, no question about it. It's remarkable that a guy his age can be in the shape that he's in, especially while partying as hard as he still does. Um, and still be an effective pro wrestler. And like, can he still cut a promo and can, is he still good on commentary? Yes. All these things are true. I just don't know what the inner circle does for me on this show anymore. Like what's their purpose? What's their point? What's their motivation? What are they doing besides taking up screen time? Right. At at this point, they're taking up screen time. They're doing, you know, they're doing sketch comedy. They're doing, 
Yeah. And like if that leads to, you know, one of these guys having a big tag team run, that's fine. But that tag team has to be Santana and Ortiz, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that would be the the thing. You know, the, the, the actual established tag team in, in the in the stable, you know. But do we think that's what's going to happen? I, you know what? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Although I guess a, a salvageable way out of this is Santana and Ortiz lose this match to Jericho and MJF, and that leads to Santana and Ortiz's eventual exit from the inner circle. Yeah. I think maybe getting them out of there and getting them maybe either by themselves or in closer proximity to Eddie Kingston are the right way to go. That's just me. Oh, there's an idea. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to find out next week on, on we dynamite. will if there's one thing we know about AEW dynamite is that there will be an inner circle segment so you can bet your sweet fucking ass we're gonna find out uh up next speaking of stables we are not tired of uh <laughs> the dark order and adam page and adam page getting cajoled once again to finally reveal whether or not he's going to be part of uh the dark order and he said you know what i'll let you know after the match next week which apparently is in honor of negative one Brody Lee Jr.'s uh, birthday. Yes, it's the Brody Lee Jr. birthday celebration match. I think that's very nice. Um, it was cool to see uh, Dark Order addressing their future. And obviously, it's it seems like a bit of a face turn. But I do think this is very interesting. You know, we so we took a poll on our Twitter account, at BGTD Podcast. So this is something I guess worth talking about, right? Uh, so when we uh, did our episode, we talked about Dark Order last week. I decided to put it out to our followers on Twitter and friends out there on who should be the, the next leader of Dark Order. Uh, so we put that out and we did a, a poll. I put it up for like about a week. And... People spoke. We had a bunch of really interesting opinions. I'm sorry that I'm stretching a little bit. It's because it's hard to find this tweet because of all the gifts from one of our, I guess, yeah, we should probably address our most popular tweet that we've ever done in this podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, at, so, so last week, last week on Boom Goes a Dynamite, at the end of the podcast, I put the question to you, what wrestling move would you like to do to Ted Cruz? That's right. Uh, and in the wake of that, I thought it'd be a fun question to pose to the people as well. So I said, name a wrestling move you would do to Ted, Ted Cruz. And the Internet's response was tremendous. It, uh, was. it, got, it was it was engaged with at, at a much higher clip than I expected it to be. And I'm very happy about that. Uh, if there's one thing I know about Twitter, it's that we love wrestling and we hate Ted Cruz. And I'm very happy about that. It's something I love to see. So the responses were great. Um, I got a lot of awesome gifts, a lot of awesome replies. Uh, you can find those at BGTD Podcast. I retweeted a lot of them, so please. Please follow us there and check that out. Uh, some really fun <laughs> responses to that tweet. But back to the poll. I said, choose the next leader of Dark Order. I put four choices, and I also left a uh, thing for comments. The four choices that I put up were John Silver, e Evil Uno, Anna Jay, and Eric Redbeard. Um, and actually, 40% of our vote went to Eric Redbeard, Jeff. Right. So people want Eric to be there. But John Silver was number two, Evil Uno number three, Anna J number four. I also got um, uh, Don Callis was a suggestion, Colt Cabana, Lance Archer. And someone said, I love this answer. Nobody keep them in egalitarian babyface collective. Now, okay. an answer I got not on these polls, but from my girlfriend, whose only wrestling consumption comes from watching Dynamite with me. Uh, she said Adam Page, and she actually laid out like this whole storyline. Like the first, <laughs> I was so did, proud did, of her. Did, didn't I respond to Adam Page too? I think you said Adam Page as well. I, I did. think, but you, I think you DM'd it to me though. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> did I? Maybe you quote tweeted it. I don't know. I don't um, know. but either way, you might have said Adam Page. So my girlfriend's first ever fantasy booking experience was fantasy booking Adam Page's path to Dark Order. Okay, and. Uh, her early ideas kind of mirrored what happened in this segment, so we we had a good laugh about that. Okay, well, you know, um, you, you you can't get, uh, can't. But yeah, like, the idea was like start with like John Silver, like being super like cool to Adam Page and like come on in, dude, and like be our be our bro, like with the idea of making him the eventual leader. And could you now see that after tonight's segment? Absolutely, Me I too. absolutely can see. 
I absolutely can see that. Super interesting. I'm really interested to see what happens with this match next week. And I'm very intrigued to see the direction of Dark Order. Uh, You know, they did, you know, acknowledge Brody Lee's memory and how what they have to do from here on out uh, has to be in honor and in service to Brody. And that's correct both in and out of character. It just is. Like, Brody Lee is always forever tied to dark order. And I think dark order is a permanent mainstay of AEW now because of Brody Lee. And there's nothing you can like, you can't ever disband dark order at this point. Like you always have to have it there and make it a thing. Well, at least for all a, about a year. I mean, stable, 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 man, stables come and go, man. I mean, it's just stables come and go, but this is different now. I mean, this really is different. And speaking of stables, we get a recap of, Team Taz versus Darby Allen, which is a good little prelude to uh, to our main event of the evening today. I, yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, it, it went through the whole shtick, you know, up to including you know uh, Taz trying to recruit Darby Allen way back when, mm-hmm. which what seems like three years ago, but yeah, it seems like forever ago. But time means nothing anymore, Jeff. You know what else means nothing anymore? Uh, pro wrestling contracts, apparently, as oh. uh, Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks and Don Callis all show up, and they're all nice and reunited. And then we get our fifth match in the evening in which uh, your large son, Griff Garrison. My beautiful baby boy. Uh, your beautiful Griffle, baby boy. Griffold Garrison. Griff is actually uh, short for Griff. I don't know if you knew that. My son, Griffold. Uh, Griffold Garrison. <laughs> his idiot cousin, Brian Pillman Jr., and uh, Danny Limelight, late of Team the the new Japan version of Team Filthy, yeah. Uh, going up against they uh, seem to like Danny Limelight. He's been on AEW Dark a bunch. Like they, yeah. I think they like him. And there. He's, he could he's continuing in, in on the uh, you know on the LA Dojo New Japan TV show too. So yeah, he's impressive. Who, who knows and what uh, his status is? I'll be real. He impressed me in this match. He looked great. Uh, they went up against the AEW World Champion Kenny and Executive Vice President Kenny Omega. And, oh, wait, Shock Swerve, not the Young Bucks, but the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows, and not Buzzsaw, excuse me, Excalibur, not Buzzsaw, Machine Gun Carl Anderson, if you will. I still don't think they want to say Machine Gun. Yeah. I don't think they want to say it. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think like they don't want the, I don't think they want the optics. You know, they did a fundraiser for anti-gun violence. So Right. Oh, okay. I get true. them not wanting to call one of their characters machine gun. I, I understand that. Um, uh, but yeah, it was it was a nice swerve. I should have known when Don Callis uh introduced as your world champions or your world tag team champions, but did not say AEW world tag team champions. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, you know, uh, Kenny's best friends mentioned. And then he says, it's the good brothers. It's a bit of a swerve. Uh, then we cut back to the young bucks, uh, staring despondently at the monitor with Dasha and Tony Khan, who is currently on what is probably the best cocaine on earth. <laughs> Still, Tony Khan, Tony Khan does cocaine that even like your parents who grew up in the 80s dream about <laughs> like that's the level of cocaine that Tony Khan. Oh, gets wait a minute. No, 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 no. I am that parrot that grew up in the 80s. <laughs> that's true. But like, like I like I know like like my dad told me about like him, like seeing like Peruvian cocaine that was like pink and stuff. And like they were just we're not, like. Millennials and like Gen Zers are never gonna see that cocaine, and like Gen Xers like got in at the end of it, but like you're never gonna see that level of cocaine Tony ever Khan, again. Tony Khan, however, when you, when you get billionaire cocaine, a whole different ball game, man. <laughs> um, you know what? I hadn't seen Guns and Gallows wrestle in a while, and um, yeah, I think their better days are behind them. Honestly, I'm sorry. Really? That's really interesting. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I thought the match was effective. It was supposed to be supposed to be a beatdown. The, uh, the opponents got a little more offense in than I expected, but yeah. I think Anderson and Gallows can still go. That's very interesting. I kind of disagree with you on this. I mean, maybe it just was an off night for him, but yeah. Hey, I mean, what, what missed for you? Like, what do you, like, what stood out to you as just, like, not, their best you know, I, I just looked at him and it just, it, it didn't work for me tonight. I don't know why. Okay. You know, it just... interesting. 
I, I just, think those guys, and I think like the way they're being presented now, like is right. Like for guys like veterans of the ring who are known as like badasses and bruisers, they just went in and did some ass kicking and bruising, like and, and some that, various. Like, yeah, uh, I mean that's fine, but. I, I thought they landed their strikes very cleanly. I thought uh, Pillman and Garrison did a really good job. But this was like a Danny Limelight show. Like That's what this match was. Yeah, Danny Limelight did show out against Danny Kenny Limelight Omega. literally carried this match. Yeah. Um, Anderson, I just, you know, I've just seen Anderson be so much better. And I don't know. Maybe it's, I mean, was it the, the years stuck in, in Vince land? I don't know. Hmm. But, okay. Hey, you know. Okay, fair. Absolutely. Uh, Anderson does get the pin on Limelight after a magic killer. Afterwards, we get a, an appearance from uh, Jonathan Moxley. Um, we, oh, do we? He, he starts, you know, getting beat down by the, the reunited, uh, you know, Kenny Omega and Good Brothers Cotillion. Uh, and then gets a little help from... So, so before you say this... I was convinced the Young Bucks were coming out, right? Because that makes the most sense. Like, the Young Bucks are going to come straight out. Right. That's no. kind of where I was at. That's where my intent... Because I knew that Moxley was going to get help from somebody. And I expected that help to be the Young Bucks. But that's mm. not what happened, was it? Oh, no. Oh, no. We No, we... we, oh, we, no. we, we it was much better than that. Because we got... Oh, was it? We got Penta El Cero Miedo y Rey Phoenix. Woo! <laughs> Let oh yeah. Go. I was I was I stood up from my couch and I was like Rectangulo de la Muerte! Rectangulo de la Muerte! <laughs> oh that's rectangle! Let's fucking go! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And, and, and eventually the, the uh the young bugs did come out and Penta and Phoenix just kicked them in the face. Kicked them in the fucking head too! Penta and Phoenix are taken back over! Woo! We're asserting dominance today. Pack gets a big win. The fucking Lucha Brothers come out and kick the shit out of everybody. My energy is up. I am so excited. This rocked. Uh, people, and I saw uh, like some negative uh, feedback to this whole segment. And I understand that, like being kind of like the whole dust up clusterfuck thing. But the Lucha Brothers being the focal point of this was so fucking smart. They, they <laughs> like are... it rocked. They are it was beautiful because you can take this in so many directions now, right? Like you have this whole Lance Archer death triangle thing, and now you have the added element of them helping John Moxley, and you don't know if their motivation was purely because they wanted to kick somebody else's ass or if they just wanted it to get to the Young Bucks, like they were doing like double super ultra brain war psychology. Like were they playing 7D <laughs> chess? We don't know. Uh, you know what? Anything that gets Penta and Phoenix into – more of a main event type you know scenario i'm all for it i mean for all the shit we talk about guys like being big stars or being ready or carrying the torch and like we've talked a lot about john moxley being the ideal champion for this brand and i still believe that's true penta and phoenix are actually the biggest stars you have yeah oh yeah i mean it, jesus i mean we, we, we i mean we we have gone on at length so maybe we should, we'll, we'll cut this conversation is short a little bit, but again, they, they are as hard to believe as it seems. They really are inching them towards a main event spot. They should be like, these are actually the guys that should be the biggest stars on your brand. And I, I'm actually glad that they're not pulling that trigger too early because they will be the, the top of this promotion for years to come. I think that's a foregone conclusion at this point. After this, we get the dynamite debut of Britt Baker's, uh, you know, Piper's Pit type segment, the waiting room. Yeah, the waiting room. I've talked about this before because I've it been watching AEW Dark. It's something they've been playing there before, and it, I think it's been a very effective segment there. And I'm glad I, they brought I, it to Wednesday. Obviously, Tony Khan couldn't get the license from Fugazi. Not quite. For, for for waiting room. <laughs> well, he spent all that money on Tarzan boy, and he's still got to save up for Jane by Starship. Uh, this time we had ostensibly it was supposed to be Cody Rhodes, but then it turned into Jade Cargill and Red Velvet, and pretty much the entire women's roster getting involved Look, in I, the cluster. I, I love good old fashioned dust up, so that was fine by me. 
I did not notice, seriously did not notice how huge Jade Cargill is until tonight. I don't know why. I don't know if it's maybe just because of the figure she cut against Red Velvet. She is huge, dude. Uh, yeah. Yes, she Holy is. shit. No wonder they want her to be a thing. She's a beast. Yes, she is. Like, hell, like, I'm a lot more excited about Jade Cargill now after this segment. And I think that's the point of this, right? Their point was get you more hype about Jade, and I think they did that. Uh, after after the, the, the dust cleared, we get a video message from one Thunder Rosa. And yep. we will now have... Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker at Beach Break on February well, the third. Uh, Britt still protesting that, so don't uh, don't be too official, Britt. Uh, very, I thought that was a very good bit of Britt being like, "No, no, that isn't approved. No, it's not happening." Okay, everybody, cut away. That's not a- okay. Bye. We're not doing that. Okay, bye. We're not doing it. Uh, I think Britt's good. I think so. I think I talked about this uh, in my previous assessments of this segment. Uh, when I've talked about AEW Dark before, but now that you've seen it, Reba slash Rebel is what makes this thing go. Oh yeah, we, we, she's trying to do like her. She's trying to do like somewhere in between whoever does the uh, the, the, the 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 hype on on the Ellen DeGeneres shows if there is one, and Ed McMahon, you know, just trying yeah, to be like, that. But like she has like the goof. She would be like if she, if she were in like a '90s sitcom, she'd be a fucking superstar. You might be right. Like, just imagine her, like, at a nurse's office, like, as a recurring character on, like, Will and Grace or, like, Friends or, like, Caroline in the City or something. And she's, like, (laughs) a a sassy nurse with a funny laugh. Yeah, Yeah, you might be right. She was just in the wrong era. But no, I think I think she's very good. And I think like as a sidekick, she's incredibly effective. And like maybe the low key X factor of this entire Britt Baker run. Our fourth match of the evening. Get ready. This this is your cue, Paul. In what am which, I ready? Jungle Boy. <clears throat> oh, 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 Jungle Boy and Marco. Think of Beverly Hills Ninja starring Chris Farley every single time. Like, there's just no way around it. Uh, But it's a great song. Uh, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt versus FTR. Um, This was a fun match, I thought. Hell yeah. Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Fucking. I mean, what else to say about them? Marco shined in this match. Oh, yeah. So we talk about opportunities a lot on this podcast, right, Jeff? We do. We talk about uh, like AEW and and Dynamite in itself is a show of almost like about opportunities. Like the entire thing is an opportunity, right? Like it was an opportunity to counter program WWE finally. It was an opportunity for the indies to take the next step. It was an opportunity for Cody Rhodes to build the legacy that he wanted. It was the opportunity for the Young Bucks to take the next step that everybody thought that they should. It was an opportunity for TNT to get back into wrestling. It was an opportunity for uh, the staff, the commentators, people that had been away from a while to get in. It's a show about opportunities. So, it's always so satisfying to me when an individual wrestler gets an opportunity on the show and really seizes it. We talk about that with Andy Williams a lot, right? The butcher. I think he's a guy who consistently seizes all of his opportunities on this show. Jungle boy and Marco stunt, both perfect examples of this, right? They're so good at seizing the opportunities that this show gives them to raise their profile. No, I'll agree with that. You know, of course, you know, it it was a foregone conclusion. The second that Marco Stunt, you know, became part of the match, that Marco was not, was going to be the one to take the fall. But he he did his job, and he looked really good for most of it. Yeah, and of course, you know, one thing, like, was FTR probably going to win this match the entire time? That's fine. But what happened? What was our journey there? And that journey was a hell of a match on everybody's part. The thing about FTR and like where they, I think maybe you don't get enough credit is that they're just going to never have a bad match. Like you're never going to be like FTR sucked tonight. 
It's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, they, they're no, they, they were very good, and you know, Talia Blanchard, of course, added to that by being the catalyst for the end of the match. Yeah, and I think something that can almost work to your detriment sometimes, and especially in tag team wrestling, is when you when you're very good and you make it look easy. Because then it's almost less impressive. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what like FTR is bread and butter, right? They're supposed to be like the mechanical, you know, geniuses, the guys who are like great at executing and doing all the moves, like the technicians. But it, but to that point, it almost looks less impressive and it doesn't get enough credit. But they're always going to get the guys across from them over. And they certainly did on this one, but they do get the win uh, over Marco Stunt, of course, because who else is going to take the fall? Not <laughs> that's I mean, yeah, it's the most logical thing. But Marco had a hell of a journey there, and I just really liked this match for everybody. I thought everyone did great. Uh, the little Tully extracurricular of getting out of the way of the clothesline thing on the uh, on the apron was really good. There was a lot of really good stuff happening in this one. No, this was, this was a good match, as was our next match of the evening. Uh, Serena Deeb defending the NWA Women's World Title against Ty Conti, and uh, ooh. so let me start by saying I stared at this match very respectfully. Uh, my <laughs> eyes were on it in a manner that was very respectful towards everyone, and I just want to make that known right now. <laughs> I, I, I I'm gonna do my usual bitch of why do they always cut away to commercial during a women's match? Every single well, fucking time they they did. And uh, this was the only segment. And, you know, we could do the thing again where we bitch about that. But I think everyone knows our thoughts on uh, uh, the utilization of women's wrestling. But let's talk. Let's use our time here to talk about this match, because in a on a night that featured the tag team match we just talked about, um, a singles match between Eddie Kingston and Pac. And a main event that was still to come between Darby Allen and Brian Cage, this match still stood out as maybe the best full-on wrestling of the night. Oh, and you can make that argument. Oh, yeah. Wrestling-wise, this, this match was You can was, make the argument that this was the best match of the night. This was – I mean, Ty Conti has not been wrestling that long. Four or five years maybe, maybe less. Um she is, I mean, a very experienced judoka. She's got a lot of combat sports training. She knows MMA. She knows jujitsu. But uh, she's incredible for her level of experience, truly. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, Serena Deeb, uh, th and I'm guessing the reason this match came together, right, is because Serena Deeb's like a perfect litmus test for, you know, a high-level prospect like Ty Conti in that, like, uh, uh, Serena's going to show you really where you're at, you know, like a perfect gatekeeper for like your, your current skill level right? in wrestling, because she really is like, uh, I think this was a really nice comment from, uh, was it, uh, from Excalibur on the commentary saying, uh, you know, if you could have a black belt in pro wrestling, Serena D would have a black belt. Right. Yeah, I do remember that comment. So yeah, and yeah, no, that's exactly what she would the, be. She's a consummate professional. The, 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 this match rocked. Serena D retains, but and once again, AEW TV does the women's division dirty. I mean, yeah, I think you know. Once again, and we've said this before, uh, the women's division matches that they do show on Wednesdays prove that there need to be more of them every week. Like this match just proves the point that there needs. That division needs to be featured more prominently. Uh, Ty Conti really stepped up, had a great match against a great opponent. This match was super satisfying. Our main event of the evening, the TNT Championship, the first defense of the TNT champion of the new TNT Championship since it was retired in the wake of uh, of, of Bernie Lee's death, but also the first defense of this title since Darby Allen won it back at uh, All Out. Oh, no, no, not also All true. Out, Full Gear, excuse me, it was at Full Gear. Which you have to think that maybe some of this lack of defending the title was due to Brody's illness, now that like we have the benefit of hindsight. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, and I've been thinking about this a lot, Jeff, like 
the stuff we talked about in the weeks leading up to Brody's passing, because obviously no one knew what was going on. Right. So we asked on this podcast a lot, where is Brody? Why are they telling stories the way that they're telling them? Why are they doing things the way that they're doing? And now that we have that hindsight, I think that explains a lot of it. Right. And I think maybe they were holding this TNT title back because I think maybe they knew where they were going to have to go here. Maybe defending that title at that point was not what they wanted. So that that's 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 out there for me. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but however, Darby Allen defends against the the FTW World Heavyweight Champion Brian Cage. Jesus Christ, this match banged. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, this shit was really good. Oh it's, God, uh, Brian Cage is a really good wrestler. I know, like, everyone just looks at him as the big beef man once in a while and, like, making fun of his inability to cut promos as a thing. But this dude and, and can he's, go. And he's kind of a dipshit. You know? And he's kind <laughs> of a dipshit. But look, this dude can go. He can wrestle his ass off. Um, he can have almost any kind of match. Like, he's a very versatile wrestler for, like, a guy of his size and physique and stature. Uh, and he's a really good dance partner for Darby Allen. He's definitely shown that. Darby, to his credit, just sold the shit out of this match, man. Oh my god, that 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 table bump, the uh, the the you know the uh, the the juice he leaked, um, you know he he just and then you know it was just some insane spots like the coffin drop onto the steel steps. Very good stuff. Uh, um, there. You know, and he, you know, managed a, a top a crucifix pin from the top rope. My yeah, god, really just. Oh, yeah, there's so much good to say about the X, and and I think you know we talked we we've talked a lot on this show about themes and how shows have cohesive narratives on AEW Dynamite, and one of the things that's like you know good when this show is hitting on all cylinders that uh, shows have this kind of through line, and I think the through line tonight was execution. Right, there was a lot of well executed uh, in ring work throughout tonight's program. And yeah, it was really the next exclamation point put on it with this match. Right. Well, and and to be fair, the women's match too, because I mean, te- on a technical level, that was the best one. But I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, but you can. That's what's what's really great about this show. You could argue it. You could talk about your if you thought that Pack and Kingston was the best match of the night. I wouldn't call that you match wrong. rule too. I mean, you if know. you thought the Conti D match was the best match, I wouldn't call you wrong. If you thought the Jurassic Express FTR match was the best night, best match of the night, I would not call you wrong. And if you thought the main event was the best match, I would not call you wrong. And if you thought Griff Garrison was the best of the night, I definitely would not call you wrong. <laughs> But yeah, uh, th- 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 this put a cap on what was overall a really good episode of Dynamite. I thought this one was really good too. I, I, um, I, you know, I was drinking a little bit, so I was hoping the rose-colored glasses weren't on. So I'm super glad you validated me. I mean, uh, by telling four, me this show was good. Four really good matches. Um, you know, it, it, you know the 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 vast majority of the matches. One of them still pretty serviceable, I thought. Um. The uh, you know yeah. the 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 Kenny and the and Guns and Gallows versus uh, the Varsity Blondes and Daniel Lonley. It was serviceable. It wasn't my favorite. I thought so too. And if uh, and one more thing. Actually, you know what? I take that back. You know what? You know what? Hold on. I'm gonna make it five because I forgot. You know what? Chuck Taylor versus Miro. Stupid stipulation. Really good match though. I thought it was a well again well executed. Yeah. And I think the again the theme here was execution. Everything tonight was well executed. Everyone did a good job. And we should also say, speaking of execution, last thing that happened on the show, Sting did appear. Uh, Darby's dad did come make the save for him. Uh, so, and I thought this was really interesting. So Cage is beating down Darby, and uh, you know. It's like it's definitely like stepdad versus dad, right? So like Cage is like Darby's like stepdad. He doesn't get him. He's like this big juicy dumbass. He doesn't understand Darby at all. And then Sting, Darby's cool real dad, comes back to rescue him. <laughs> um, honestly, the things that worked the least for me were the promos. Honestly, okay, fair. Uh, especially especially that inner circle one. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, the inner circle thing, we got to figure out something better with this because I don't think we're firing on all cylinders. We've seen the inner circle be very good, entertaining, and compelling, and we're just in a rut with this. I think they're trying to, like, you know, book their way out of it. And I think that's what we're witnessing right now is them trying to book their way out of a rut here, but it just hasn't worked yet. And I'm hoping that we can uh, find another gear to this or make a change. Paul, go ahead and plug yourself. I will. You can find me on Twitter at ThickFlareTTV, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ThickFlare. And, of course, my brand-new, all-new, hot-new podcast, Fake Fight, Real Fight. Uh, you can follow on Twitter at FFRFPod and find us on most major podcast platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the places that you get podcasts. You search Fake Fight, Real Fight. It is a combat sports entertainment podcast featuring me and my co-host, Harry Mack, we analyze, scrutinize, martinize, break down, and remember <laughs> a, uh event or fight from pro wrestling and from combat sports each week. It's a really great time. Uh, our newest episode dropping this Friday is going to be Brody Lee, Cody Rhodes 1 versus Vitor Belfort, Randy Couture 2. We had a lot of fun talking about that. Episode 3 is going to be Mayweather McGregor versus Mayweather big show and uh i got a lot of other stuff in the works and i'm really excited to talk about so please check us out there too and of course this show's podcast or twitter excuse me <laughs> yes are you plugging it or am i no you are because that's your okay plan. i'm doing it. oh i'm doing it you can also follow this podcast twitter at bgtd podcast that's bgtd like boom goes down to my podcast um i tweeted about aew dark from there today and maybe i'll do that more often Okay. I don't know. Follow. Find out. Uh, you can find me at Strong Style Story without the E in style on Twitter. My personal Twitter at GD Wessel. Two S's, one L. Uh, last weekend, I dropped uh, a big roundtable on Wrestle Kingdom 15 on episode 71 of the Strong Style Story podcast with Dave Ryan, Sagerly Malone of Days of Thunder guesting on that show. Uh, we tried to do a busting balls. However, uh, due to Brexit, uh, John's internet was absolute dog shit. So uh, we're going to try it again this weekend. So this weekend, That's stay right, tuned proper for proper mental in it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, blimey, Gov. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, stay tuned this weekend for uh, an episode of Busting Balls. Uh, Paul, any last words? Baltimore, we love you. We'll see you next week.